reading from 1 Peter. Therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. It's my joy to introduce today's speaker. His name is Kenneth Padgett. Some of you who've been with the DI Fellowship for a while know Kenneth. And uh, he has served with us as a pastoral intern as he completed his master's in Old Testament just this fall from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And uh, we have launched into a new uh, sermon series on the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to have various voices and uh, other stories, if you will, unfolded uh, over the next few months. And I think it's very fitting, especially with this particular passage, that we welcome Kenneth Padgett back to the pulpit. For those who are new with us and don't know Kenneth, Kenneth is a native of the Lowcountry and also a veteran of both the Navy and the Air Force. And we're going to learn even some more uncomfortable truths about Kenneth this morning, actually. (laughs) So uh, with that being said, could we welcome Kenneth back with a round of applause to the pulpit? Thank you. Let's start with prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Father, we know that you were present when Peter penned these words thousands of years ago. And Father, we pray for your presence this morning as we receive these words. Um, I pray that everything this morning would be done to your glory. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, yes, I'm Kenneth. uh, As Paul mentioned, I just want to say, Paul, thanks so much for the opportunity to teach and It's an honor to share the word with you this morning. Um, Last week, Paul launched us into uh, the book of 1 Peter, which is really a study of a short letter that Peter wrote to Christians in Asia Minor right before his death. And uh, in the first chapter, he um, talked about this living hope that we now have, that through the resurrection of Jesus, we now have a hope that is living And what he's going to do in this message today, in the second half of chapter one, is he's going to connect hope to holiness. So the title for the message today is, You Have Hope, So Be Holy. And I think 
just as I've been thinking about it and studying it, um, I know myself, and I think I receive the message of that we have hope is, is with, with it's, that's good news to me, that we have hope. I wonder if we receive this call to holiness with the same gusto and enthusiasm. And I think what we're going to learn today is that Peter's going to tell us you can't have one without the other. That these two things, hope and holiness, are bound together for our good and for God's glory. So I wanted to start this morning by uh, taking a look at the author one more time, uh, Peter, who's writing this letter. The Peter that we really know is the Peter from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we get to see him. You know, he's a, he's a disciple. He's one of the first disciples. He was a fisherman. And in Acts, uh, they perceived him as uneducated and untrained. And, you know, when you're reading about Peter, sometimes he seems like he's a little rough around the edges. He shoots from the hip. Uh, he's kind of like a bull in a china shop. He, he leaps and then thinks in that order. And um, he's actually reprimanded by Jesus and Paul. And if Jesus calls, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. You never want to hear Jesus say that to you. Uh, and Paul like, calls him out publicly in the book of Galatians because B Peter is like all buddies with the Gentiles until the Jews show up. And then Peter's like, oh, I don't even know who they are. And Paul calls him out on it for thousands of years for us to read, for billions of Christians to read. Um, we, Peter's one of those guys that you learn from his mistakes just as much as you learn from the good stuff that he does. And, uh, but you know what? There's an all-in nature with Peter. There's something that this guy is like, he has this like childlike faith, and he's just all-in. And because of that all-in nature of Peter, he's also the only disciple who walked on water, like I'm walking on this stage. So here is Peter 30 years later. He was roughly the same age as Jesus. Here he is 30 years later, wiser, um, been through 30 years of walking uh, in the spirit in the church, and we're going to hear what he has to say this morning. But as I think of Peter and this kind of uh, unrefined man that we run into in the Gospels, I, have a, I, have a, I feel a kinship towards him. I don't know if you do as well. I just want to share with you a little bit about me. <laughs> I mean, I don't even really need to say anything. Like, that picture right there does just about everything you need it to do. Uh, this is mid-'90s. I was a total metalhead. Um, shoot from the hip, rough around the edges. Um, the next step after this was I got my head shaved and joined the military and became a seafaring man. So I see these fishermen uh, in the Gospels. And my dad actually ran a shrimp boat when I was a kid. So I then down in Beaufort and we lived on the shrimp boat. And it was, I feel this kinship with Peter. Um, and you're probably thinking like, wait a minute, Paul got this guy to talk about holiness, you know? Um, and yes, there is a sweet kind of grace-filled irony to this because like Peter, I also became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus, I've been called to follow our king. And it's an awesome thing. And I'm so thankful that he reached out to me and extended his love to me. And I'm so thankful that by the power of the Spirit, I responded. And if you haven't done that, my prayer is that this morning that will happen. So as we think about 
this Peter from the past, I wanted to really hit on a parable that Peter heard Jesus say one time. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Um, we don't need to open it up, but you can if you want to. But Peter, in the Gospels, in Luke, he hears Jesus talk about this parable of the master's return. Maybe you remember it. Um, it's, Jesus says that, listen, I want you guys to be ready. He says, gird up your loins and be ready, which is an idiom. It's an ancient idiom for roll up your sleeves and get you ready to get your hands dirty or buckle up, here we go. That's the idiom. And Jesus starts with, I want you guys to gird up your loins and be ready because it's, you're going to be like, uh, I'm the master and I'm going to leave and you're, gonna, you're the servants and you need to be the servants who are about the master's business. This is the point of the parable, that when the master leaves, the servants are about his business. And so they keep the lamp lit and they don't check out when the master leaves. They're not, the, the, the bad servants in the parable are the ones who are like, hey, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do while the boss is out. I'll be playing cards in the back. Let me know when he comes back. Um, Jesus is saying it's not gonna work that way because I'm gonna return when you least expect it. And this is the, this idea of the master's return is directly tied to this hope, that, this living hope that we heard about in the first part of First Peter last week. But what I want to do before we get into First Peter proper, I wanted to tell you that this, this parable has obviously stuck with Peter these 30 years. And there's some, a, a paradigm that Peter has about Jesus, a thought that the, that the first Christians had about Jesus that I think can sometimes elu be elusive for us in our context. And it's sometimes um, certain English translations are going are gonna to hide this from us, but I really wanted to say, hey, if you get this part that we're about to go over right now, you're really going to understand uh, where Peter's coming from and his call to holiness. And so we're going to nerd out for a second on a couple, three Greek words I wanted to share with you. And really, um, I really want you to think about this um, because it's going to make a huge difference. It's going to be a paradigm shift maybe for some of you and how you think about Jesus and your relationship to him. The first word is kurios. That's the word master. It regularly gets translated in your New Testament as Lord. And I don't know that that carries the same weight for us. Back in the day in 1611 when the King James came out, Lord that's, it carried that idea of someone of honor, someone who's the master, the boss. Um, this curious idea is the master of the parable, uh, the, the, of the master's return, and Jesus is regularly called master. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is curious. So I just want you to always see, when, you, when you're reading your New Testament and you see Lord, just think master. This is the guy in charge. The next word, likewise, is Christos, and it, it's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Mashiach, which is Messiah. And the problem with our, a problem with some, how we conceive of this is our Greek, I mean, I'm sorry, our English translations just give us an anglicized version of Christos. And so we might not carry, we might not carry the import, the, this theological import um, into how we read the Bible. We always say Jesus Christ. We said it like 10 times in the songs this morning. We talk about Jesus as Lord, and we say Jesus Christ. 
I just wanted to put a little more umph in those meaning, in the meaning of that this morning, because it's going to pay off when we start looking at Peter here in a second. So know that Messiah in the Old Testament, the context is an anointed king. Okay? The prophets are awaiting this anointed king to come. So when you see the words Jesus Christ, which we see all the time and we say all the time, think in your head, King Jesus. Okay, so this is the paradigm. This is what we need to understand is that for Peter, he's not just Jesus. He's King Jesus. He's the master. We're awaiting his return. We're going to be about the master's business. So what does a king require is the question in all this. Um, and it really gets down to the word you're, you're probably thinking of is faith. Um, but I want to, like, again, fill that out a little bit more. The Greek word is pistis. And I think sometimes we think of believing in Jesus as, like, believing that he exists. That's like ground zero. That's a given that you believe he exists. When you really believe in Jesus, when you have saving faith in Jesus, it means that you've given over whole person allegiance to King Jesus. That you're going to align your behavior and the way you think and the way you talk to his ways. We're called disciples. They're called disciples in the, in the Gospels because they're disciplined in the way of the king. I think Matthew Bates hits it right on the head here. He's a New Testament scholar. He says, the gospel reaches its zenith with Jesus' installation and sovereign rule as the Christ, the King. As such, faith in Jesus is best described as allegiance to him as King. So when we launch in here, we need to realize that for Jesus, he's, for, for Peter, he's not just Jesus, he's King Jesus. So one of the problems with doing a study of this small book is that Peter packs a punch in every single sentence. And what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to do a flyover and look at these highest peaks. Uh, I encourage you to go and read uh, again um, and study this, this book. But we're just going to hit the highest peaks here. Um, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, which is literally in the Greek, gird your, the loins of your mind. He's picking up on this language from Jesus of being prepared Roll up the sleeves of your mind. Be, have this singular focus. Um, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, of King Jesus. And the revelation of King Jesus is his revealing. That's what, it's mean. That's what it means. When he returns, when we see him, when the veil is pulled and he, we see him as here, be ready for that. Set your hope on that for the master's return. And he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Okay, so there's words in here that, that we, that may make us, you know, push back a little bit or like, whoa, like there's conduct and deeds and work and obedience. And, you know, sometimes we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just like, I just want to give high fives, you know, to Jesus when he comes back. We're good. We're buddies. Uh, there will be high fives, I'm sure. But there's also going to be kneeling. 
Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus and, and proclaim that Jesus is king. He's master. He's Lord. And what Peter is saying is like, we have this hope in his return. Our hope is not in vain. It's living. It's active. So therefore, you need to connect it to, it it's, 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 can't be disconnected from holiness, from living out your allegiance to King Jesus. I picture, you know, Griswold just kind of connecting slow-mo, <laughs> boom, you know, like hope and, and uh, holiness, and that's the power of what God is doing in the world. He's not calling us to believe he exists and then to carry on about our own way. He's calling us to align ourselves, whole person, inward and outward, whole person alignment to the way of Jesus. And he continues, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but as such as silver and, or gold, but with the precious blood of the king, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Think of the Exodus. It's amazing. So that your allegiance and hope are in God. Here's another aspect to holiness that I, that I, want, to, that I want to bring out as we look at it this morning. Um, you ever, ever watch the show American Pickers? I love that show. I don't really watch much TV, but I like watching American Pickers. And so I was, an, I was imagining this week, um, so they, just going into a, into a backyard of somebody, some hillbilly type situation, you know, and there's uh, kudzu everywhere and um, all this rusty stuff. And going back there, and the guy goes back there, and he sees a vase. And it's on the ground, it's covered in mud, it's got leaves growing up over it, it's filled with dirt, and it's got like a yard flamingo, you know, sticking out the top of it or something. And the owner says, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that from you for five bucks. Yeah, sure, whatever, you know, and so he grabs it and he takes it home and he washes the vase and he discovers that it's, it's fine china with beautiful designs and he washes it clean and he fills it with the fresh flowers and he places it on his mantle in a place of honor. And this, this thing that was, you know, filled with a flamingo in the backyard, you know, of some guy is now has this place of honor. It's been washed and cleaned and it displays the beauty of the owner. Obviously in the illustration, maybe you picked up on it, we're the vase. We were living in some guy's backyard with leaves and weeds growing up over us with a pink flamingo sticking out of our head. And God came and he took us and he washed us with the precious blood of King Jesus. And he set us in a place of honor. And we're made to display the beauty and magnificence of the master, of the king, of the owner. What you don't want to do is you don't want to let that old owner come back and try to, you know what, I, I don't have a place to put my flamingo. Uh, can I have my vase back? You know? There's temptations in our lives. There are draws and pulls back to our, back to the, the backyard with the mud and the muck and the mire, 
We're constantly tempted to go back, but we need to realize that we've been set in a place of honor and washed in the blood, and we need to live accordingly. We're not a vase. We're humans. We don't sit on a mantle. We walk about the world. We live and work. We go to the grocery store. We play at the park. It's there that you display the glory and honor and magnificence and beauty of the master. It's there where you're about the master's business, set aside, set apart as different and unique. This is what holy means. So there's two sides of the holy coin here. Um, Holy is an ontological declaration of who you are in King Jesus. Ontological means like what makes you you. There has been a transformation and a significant shift when you decided to pledge allegiance to King Jesus. He set you and washed you and placed you in a place of honor. Holiness is your hope in and your allegiance to King Jesus lived out. Peter continues, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. You're a new creation. This is actually, when you're going through the text, you see all these these imperatives that Peter gives. um, Set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at at the revealing of King Jesus. Do not be conformed to your old ways of ignorance. Don't go back to that lesser purpose. Um, He says, conduct yourself uh, in a way that shows honor to your Father in heaven. Um, But this is the only command, this love one another earnestly. You guys see that right there? Love one another earnestly. This is the only ethical command. So when I'm reading this, and and I'm tracking with Peter and seeing, okay, I've been set apart, I've been set aside, I've been washed, I've been called to this awesome holy calling, I've been loved myself. Peter, what does this look like? What does it look like when I live out this allegiance to King Jesus? And it's not not some burden that Jesus has placed on us. It's a call to love. Here's another Greek word for you. Ektenos. That's the word, love one another earnestly. Ectenos is the the only other place this word appears in the New Testament, is in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke. Peter's really struggling to stay awake, okay? Him and his buddies, and Jesus keeps coming back to him like, dude, I really need you to be awake. I need you right now. And he probably didn't say dude. But, um, and and so he, he can't stay awake, but we learn that Jesus is pleading with the Father. He's really struggling, and he's praying earnestly with sweat, with blood sweat coming out of his head. He's literally sweating blood. That's the other time that this word shows up, and it's used to describe our love to one another. And what this word means, what the, the image that you get in this word is with every muscle strained, love one another. With every muscle strained, love one another. That's what it means to be holy. I mean, sometimes we look at, we say holy, you know, hope is like the good four-letter word and holy is like, comes before the bad four-letter word. 
Or we say holy like, oh, that person's holier than thou. We need to like stop doing that. We need to understand this awesome truth that God is calling us to. That when we say some, someone is, man, I'm experiencing the holiness of this person. That the Holy Spirit is working in this person as they just lavish love on me. And the calling for us as we live out our obedience, as we live out our allegiance and hope in King Jesus is to, with every muscle strain, I love seeing those pictures on Daniel and Fellowship Facebook thread where you're seeing everybody like building houses and stuff like that. Like, I mean, you're actually like using your muscles and, and carrying stuff. I just love seeing that. And I think the call to us here is like, okay, am I really loving others with every muscle strained or am I doing it when it's convenient? Am I giving a click or, you know, thumbs up? text, you know, glad you're doing good or whatever, or am I actually engaging with people to love them? And here's what the deal is. Here's the big whammy at the end of the whole passage. This whole idea of hope and holiness and loving is the good news that was preached to you. This is what they had heard when those people who came into Asia Minor, those Christians who came into Asia Minor and shared the gospel, shared the good news, they were talking about, we have a king, he's coming back, you need to have hope in that because he loves you, he's washed you, he's cleansed you, he's called you to a wholly different purpose, a unique purpose to display his honor. And listen, the hallmark of that is your earnest love for one another. That's how you ought to be living. And I can imagine being these people receiving this. Um, they're just starting to taste. We're going to see as the letter progresses, they're just starting to taste suffering for King Jesus. Peter's about to be killed for King Jesus. These recipients, he's encouraging them, in your suffering, hold on to this. And the reason is because they're living in a kingdom but they're following another king. As in, they're living in Rome, but they're following King Jesus, and it's just starting to rub the wrong way. The admonition of Peter is, embrace this good news of King Jesus. Place your hope, set your hope, be single-minded, be ready for the master's return. You've been washed and cleaned. Love one another with every muscle strained. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. Father, I pray that we would carry these words that you inspired Peter to write uh, in our hearts and in our minds. Father, I pray that we would love you with our strength, our very being. Father, I pray that, I pray that you would work that out through your Holy Spirit who dwells in our midst. And Father, I pray that we would go from here uh, looking for opportunities to love one another. We pray this so that your name would be made, would be shown and would be seen to be magnificent and excellent. Father, thank you so much for meeting us here this morning and teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen.